1 Corinthians chapter 3. I added some readings at the top of your bulletin uh, from Job chapter 5 and from Psalm 94. Those are uh, two passages that Paul quotes in our verses this morning. And we're not going to read all of those, but I want those there for you for reference uh, in case you want to go look at them. We will read part of Psalm 94 to get more context for that this morning. Um, But I just wanted to give that to you there. So 1 Corinthians 3, and if we could stand for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be starting in verse 18 and going to verse 23. Paul says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning uh, for the clarity of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would use me to uh, teach clearly, to be faithful to the truth of your word, God. And Lord, I also pray that you would use me as an instrument, that the focus would not be on me this morning, but that we would all direct our hearts and our thoughts on what you have to say. I pray, God, that we would all be conformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our example and our Savior. And I also pray, Lord, as we do every week, God, that we know there are people who are calling themselves Christians and going to church every Sunday, but but still do not have this relationship with you, God. They still are trying to live in the world and with you and you just you can't have two masters, God. We know this. And so I pray, Lord, for their salvation as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to see this morning in the passage that we have is uh, really Paul is still building on what we learned from the last couple weeks. Paul is building on this idea about the final judgment of man. And as Pastor Keith taught us last week, that while believers will not experience God's wrath, right, we still will have to stand before God and give an account of our lives. We still will have to go before the Bema seat. There will be this time where the fact that we are already fully exposed will be revealed and we will be fully exposed to ourselves as well because we will be standing before the holy God and he will be examining each in every moment. Uh, I, you know, one of the ways that I've looked at this, and it was actually from a video that I had watched on this a while back, was that the nice thing, though, is as we stand before God, everything that was done before we came to faith in Christ is done away with. It was paid for on the cross. It's pushed off. It's pushed off. It is as far as the east from the west, right? We are not... Um, held accountable to those things in that way, thankfully. But 
the things that we have done after becoming Christians, those things will be brought before the Lord and they will either be burned up in fire or we will be rewarded for what we have done. And so some of us will go before the Lord and we will receive the rewards of our life. And unfortunately, some of us will go before him and we will not hear, well done, good and faithful servant. In fact, what Paul says, as Pastor Keith read last week, is that though you will be saved, you will suffer loss and your works will be burnt up. So now I want to pause on here a minute before we get into our passage, because here's my concern. My concern is that for many Christians today, they read a passage like that, and they walk away, rightly so, very encouraged in a sense that, hey, you know what? The goal was to make it into heaven, and it sounds like I've made that goal, and the works and the rewards is just kind of some icing on the cake, and really I can kind of do without it, as long as I just get in. And this can tend to be a problem when we make salvation all about just getting into heaven. I just need to get in. And I bring this up because I know that there will be some who think they are saved. Maybe without rewards, but I'll get in. And what can tend to be uh, the problem and the reality is you don't have any rewards because you don't really love Jesus. And I think there will be a lot of people who think they're in and aren't because their lives instead bear witness to the fact that they don't know Jesus and they don't love Jesus. Instead, Paul, after speaking about this topic of being refined with fire and the rewards that will be received, he returns back to warning the Corinthian church, and then um, he gives an exhortation to reorient their thinking. And the warning is about fools being deceived about their supposed wisdom, And the exhortation is to remember what belongs to them as Christians because of who they belong to. See, the one who lives by worldly wisdom will be destroyed. But the one who is a fool for Christ has everything. The one who lives according to the wisdom of the world, the Bible teaches, will be destroyed. It is the fool for Christ who inherits everything. It is the fool for Christ who has received everything. So let's take a look at starting with Paul's warning in 3, 18 to 20. Let me just reread it for us. Paul says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they are useless. 
So Paul starts with this warning to his readers based on what he had just said about going before the Lord and their works being refined in fire. Paul's concern is, I don't want you to be deceived. You can be a Christian and still walk in deception. And the warning is actually similar to what we talked about just a few weeks ago. The warning is similar to the fact that you can be deceived into thinking that you are more mature in Christ than you actually are. And so you walk as though you have godly wisdom, and really what you're doing is walking in arrogance, because the wisdom that you have is according to the world, and that wisdom is foolishness to God. It's useless. It's futile. And so Paul does not want his readers, and likewise for us, he does not want us to get caught in this deception where it is possible for Christians to be deceived on wisdom and foolishness. And so this deception comes in two ways, two main ways, I should say. The first way is that the the deception comes because Christians Uh, don't know the Word of God very well. So if we are living a life as a Christian and we are not studying the Word of God, we are not having our time in, in devotion to the Lord, where we are just drinking in the Word of God, then of course we will not understand the wisdom of God. He has spoken. He has given us His revelation, and it is between Genesis and Revelation. That's where we find the wisdom of God. We don't find it out in the world. We don't find it in college degrees. We don't find it from going to really good business conferences. The wisdom of God comes from the Word of God. And so I would just appeal to you, if you claim to be a follower of Christ and you are not spending significant time in the Word, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you're probably not walking in godly wisdom. And if you think you are without the word of God being imprinted on your heart, then you would fall under what Paul says here, which is you're deceived. And here's the thing about deception. Is deception obvious to the one who's being deceived? No, of course not. I can think of many times in my life where I've walked in deception thinking it was the wisdom of God and it was clearly the wisdom of man. And it took the word of God and brothers in Christ to come alongside and say, Tyler, that's not right. But I thought it was. So likewise, if we are going to walk in godly wisdom and not be deceived, we have to be invested in the word of God. A few minutes in the morning every day is not going to cut it. Picking out one verse from a psalm and thinking that's going to carry you through. No. No, you are called to be a student of the Word of God, even if you dislike school. And if reading is tough to find the time to read, well, I would say you still need to find time to read. But guess what? For many of us, we also have options to hear the Word of God. And guess what? Here's the beautiful thing about that. And I talked about this a few weeks ago in our Sunday schools. You know, the Word of God was meant to be heard. It's meant to be read now that we have access to reading it, but do you know that this is actually a privilege? Not everyone had access to read the Word of God, even when it was written. The majority of people still 
relied on hearing it. So if you have a hard time reading or you're having a hard time finding time to read, I would say you still should find time to read, but there's also options available to you to be hearing it. And here's the beautiful thing. If I close my eyes, can I read? No. Because I have the ability to close my eyes, right? But do I have the ability to close my ears? Even if I do this, right? I still, you know, we try to do this all the time. It never works. Hearing the Word of God is important as well. The Word of God is meant to be heard. It's written in such a way, too, by the way, that it's meant to be heard. There's a cadence to it. But if we're not investing in any of those ways in the Word of God, we will not walk in godly wisdom. And we will be deceived. Okay, the other way, the other way that we can be deceived is by not practicing the Word of righteousness. So it's not so much that you need to be in the Word of God and think that if I just, you know, quickly read it, I'm good, let's go. You have to be practicing the word of righteousness. This is another thing we talked about um, a couple weeks ago when we were in Hebrews chapter 5. Where the problem with, from the author of Hebrews was you're on milk, not solid food. You should be on solid food. But the problem is you're not practicing the word of righteousness, so you are not able to discern good from evil. Think about that. If we are not practicing the word of righteousness... We, because of our sinful activity and our refusal to practice the word of righteousness, will walk in the wisdom of the world, not in the wisdom of God. So there will be Christians who think they are wise, but live according to worldly wisdom. And it will be because they're not in the word of God, and they're living in unrepentant sin in their lives, and not practicing the word of righteousness. And these things will cloud your judgment, because your heart in the flesh is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can understand it? Who can know it? Apart from the word of God, apart from the God who knows all things, you, have the, you, you are not capable of it. I am not capable of it. And so if you, if you see and know, like, yeah, you know what? I, I see that I'm, the way that I've been living is not according to the wisdom of God. Well, then there's two things you need to do. You need to get in the word of God, and you need to start confessing and repenting of the sin and the idols of your life and ridding your life of those things. And it is only in those ways that you will start to walk in godly wisdom. This wisdom will not look like the world's wisdom. Instead, in order to become wise, you must become a fool. We must recognize our foolishness before the all-knowing God. See, when, when, when the Bible tells us that we bring nothing to the table before God, it literally means we bring nothing before God. We don't even bring wisdom before God. The reality is, that we need to recognize that when we are poor in spirit, what that means is we are also poor in wisdom. I don't bring my wisdom before God and say, well, God, I think I got things mostly together, but I could use you for the rest of the way. I come before the Lord and I say, Lord, I've been a fool my whole life. And when I walk in the flesh now, even after a professing Christian, like I recognize that when I walk in the flesh, I'm walking like a fool. 
And so I can't come to the Lord with pride. I can't come to him and say, well, God, isn't there some wisdom in me, from me? I mean, out of, well, I know I'm younger than a lot of you, but um, I think sometimes we can get caught in this where we think like, yeah, but I mean, I've lived a pretty decent life for the last 40 years. I need Jesus. I recognize that I have no good works, but I've built up some good wisdom. And the reality is, is you haven't. Not in the sense that Paul's talking about here. Not in the sense of godly wisdom. That only comes through submission to Christ. It only comes as we go before the Lord and recognize, you know what? I've actually been a fool. I've actually been a fool. And that's a good thing because that's where freedom comes from. And that's where God then starts to build and work and provide godly wisdom. So we need to embrace our foolishness before God. And we also need to embrace our foolishness before man. See, there's a sense that the the world should regard Christians as foolish. Let me ask, was Jesus a wise teacher? Yes. Does the world think Jesus was a wise teacher? Well, it depends. See, think about this. You've probably heard this before. If on the one hand we're talking about Jesus being a good humanitarian and we take some of his teachings out of context then yeah, there are certain elements of of Jesus that unbelievers kind of cling to. How many times have we heard unbelievers say, well, Jesus was a good man. I mean, he's a good example that we should follow. But when it comes to his deity, his law, his call to deny self, his resurrection, see, they reject these parts of Jesus as foolishness. Well, yeah, I believe Jesus was a good man, but I don't believe he was the son of God. Well, then you don't believe the Jesus of the Bible. So the reality is Jesus was and is foolishness to the world. And here's some passages on that. John 1, 10 and 11. It says, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And when I'm teaching this at Wayside, we go through this passage, and I'm so thankful that I, you know, when it's my turn for P-phase, I actually get these two verses here. Because it never ceases to surprise me. Every time I read it, every time I'm going to teach it, that I have to sit back and say, wow, not only was he in the world, but this is the world that he made. Like, he made it. Every molecule that floats, every atom Every breath that is taken, every form of energy that is transmitted, all of that is from the creation of our God through the Word, Jesus Christ. You exist because the Word of God created you and called you into existence. Think about that and then read the rest of this passage where it says, and yet the world did not know Him. Matthew 13, 13 and 14, Jesus says, This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. 
and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. We'll touch on that in just a second here. But there's a way that Jesus taught that seemed very foolish. And hard to understand. So we as Christians, the way that we think, our worldview, it needs to be according to the word of God. And therefore, because of that, what we see in this passage from Matthew 13 is that it cannot be understood by those without ears to hear. And the kingdom of God cannot be seen by those without eyes to see. And Paul has already talked about this in 1 Corinthians, where he says that these are things that are spiritually appraised. You can only know them by the Spirit. It does not come by the flesh. In fact, what Matthew 13 tells us is that the Lord doesn't want rebels to understand the word of God apart from the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. Not only are you incapable, but that's the way that the Lord wants it. He does not want people coming to know him unless their eyes are opened by the power of God opening them. Because when the world tries to interpret Jesus, as we saw, as I said earlier, they butcher his message. So Jesus can be a good man, but not God. And therefore, if that's the kind of wisdom that the world looks at and says, well, this is the kind of Jesus I like, then what the world has done is they've butchered the message of Jesus. So if Jesus is foolish to the world, and if his word and his teachings are foolishness to those without ears to hear, then let me ask, why should Christians look any different? Why would his followers, who are called and commanded to teach his commandments and his teachings, look any different? Christians, we are called to look foolish to the world, according to the world's standards of wisdom. And that's why Paul says, the wisdom of the world is, is foolishness to God. And so I should say, if the world is on board with your kind of wisdom, okay, the world is on board and you see eye to eye with the world with their wisdom and they see eye to eye with you with your wisdom then that's cause to fear that's cause to be afraid because that should be a wake up call that you conform to the wisdom of the world not the wisdom of God so if your worldview, if your view of justice and religion and politics, and sexuality, and modesty, and relationships, and parenting, and education, and marriage, and morality, and love, and peace, and money, and work. If your worldview on those things, if that falls in line with what the world says, and the world can look at the way that you view those things and applaud, or even ignore it, 
then it must be examined by the Word of God because chances are it's not biblical. And then Paul gets into quoting Job 5.13. The one who catches the wise, he is the one who catches their wise, the wise in their craftiness. So I give you Job 15 to, so you can read the, the context of that. But the, the passage I really want to focus on here is where Paul quotes Psalm 94.11 as a warning to those who live in this kind of foolishness. So I'm going to read to you Psalm 94, 1 through 11, so that we can have the context here. O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, render recompense to the proud. How long shall the wicked, O Lord, how long shall the wicked exalt? They pour forth words. They speak arrogantly. All who do wickedness vaunt themselves. They crush your people, O God, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. They have said, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed. Pay heed, you senseless among the people. And when will you understand, O stupid ones? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who chastens the nations, will he not rebuke? Even he who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. They are a mere breath. What Paul does is he quotes the Septuagint, which is worded in the Greek a little bit differently, which is why what we have here is that the Lord knows, he's quoting verse 11, the reasoning of the wise and that they are empty or useless or futile, depending on the translation you have. So verses 1 through 7 from that psalm, what we learn is that the wicked seem to be prospering, and they act as if God does not see them. There is nothing new under the sun. Because what was written so many thousands of years ago is still true today. Those who think they are wise according to the world, those who are wicked and rebellious and walking in rebellion toward God, walk as if the Lord does not see them. And they seem to be prospering. They boast, they persecute God's people, they oppress the widow and the alien. They deny God's law concerning what God says about the widow and the sojourner. And they murder the fatherless. Then they boast that God does not take notice. We could translate that to, your God doesn't exist. As if they will not have to answer for the life that they have lived. And then in verse 8, the psalmist switches gears. He addresses the foolish and warns them that they are the ones who need to take notice because God does see and they will have to answer for it. 
Then he says, the fool is senseless. He says, oh, senseless ones. Right? Senseless. What does that mean? They're lacking their senses. They have ears but cannot hear. They have eyes but cannot see. And the irony is that compared to the Lord, then the psalmist says, it is the Lord who fashions the eye. So can he not see what you're doing? It is the Lord who fashioned the ear. Does he not hear the words that you say? He is the one who fashioned and created knowledge. Does he not know your every thought? Oh, foolish ones, you are exposed to the Lord. Our idolatry, our walking in sinfulness, our walking in the wisdom of the world will dull our senses. And if you don't believe me, Psalm 115 says this, Our God in the heaven, he does whatever he pleases. But their idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make these idols will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. If you are trusting the idols in your life, you will become dull and senseless like those false idols. And you will not be able to perceive the wisdom of God. You will not be able to discern what is good and evil. When I let idols into my life, what I'm really doing is I'm giving myself over to worldly wisdom. See, worldly wisdom sometimes just looks like, well, maybe just one more, Lord, and then I'll be fine. Sometimes worldly wisdom looks like, oh, I know what your word says, God, but I just don't really see it as that bad. Sometimes worldly wisdom looks like, well, God, you made me this way, and now you expect me to change? But one of the things that I have to recognize, and I pray that you recognize too, is that I cannot serve two masters. I cannot serve my idols and God. I cannot serve my idols and also cling on to godly wisdom. The two will not reside together. And so really, what we see is that when we walk in foolishness, and I'm talking about when we walk in the wisdom of the world, when we walk in that foolishness to God, it's really just an outpouring of our wickedness and our sinfulness. So Paul says, be aware of this. Do not be deceived. Well, then Paul gets into something a little bit more encouraging. He says in 3, 21 to 23, So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death 
or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So he starts off with his exhortation, do not boast in men. Well, why would he say that? Do not boast in men. Well, one of the reasons is because of what he just said, that men on their own, they don't have wisdom. Like, we, apart from God, have only the wisdom of the world, which is foolishness to God. And so, of course, it would be foolish to boast in ourselves and in mankind. Because mankind, in their best, is still foolishness to God. And then also, Paul would say this because of the context that he's built since the first chapter, which is they're boasting in Paul and Apollos and Peter, depending on what division and party they follow in the church. And so Paul's saying, so don't boast in men. Don't idolize me or Apollos or Cephas because Paul recognizes that even he is a fool apart from Christ, just as anyone else is. Then he says in 21b, he says, for all things belong to you, and then he lists those things that uh, belong, which is really uh, meant to be showing that everything, all things, including life and death, and the things that are going to come, and the things that are already taking place. Well, what does this mean? Well, it starts with recognizing the authority of Christ. See, the Bible tells us that all authority in heaven and earth has been given in Christ. He has conquered sin and death, and he rules the nations. Matthew eleven twenty seven says, All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Ephesians 1, 20 and 22 which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. And then Hebrews 2.8 you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not see all things subjected to him. So these passages are playing on the present reality that all authority has been given to Christ. And even though we don't totally see it now because there's still this already and not yet of the kingdom where we are uh, seeing the authority of Christ displayed for us now in our lives and in the world around us in some ways through the spreading of the kingdom of God, where we do not yet see it is in the rebellious and wicked world that still seems to prosper and function and say, does God not see? He doesn't see. And so these passages are, are telling, and this is what Paul's saying too in, in 1 Corinthians, why he can say that all things belong to you that are to come and now, the things that are present. 
Well, because all things belong to Christ, and we are united with him. This is my one slide for the day for you. That's fine, it was funny. We can all laugh. We are united with Christ. Look at these passages, these truths. We are created in Christ, Ephesians 2.10. We were crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. We were buried with Christ, Colossians 2.12. We were baptized into Christ and his death, Romans 6.3. We are united with him in his resurrection, Romans 6.5. We are seated with him in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2.6. Christ dwells within us, 1 Corinthians 1.5. We are in him, 1 Corinthians 1.30. He has, made a, he has made his home in our hearts, John 14. We are one flesh with Christ, Ephesians 5, 31 to 32. We are joint heirs with Christ, Romans 8, 17. And we will reign with Christ, 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 12. Therefore, to believe Christ is to believe that he is Lord of all. The world has lost. And the world that is still subject to Adam is fading. It is losing. It may look, according to the eyes of all we can see right now, it may look like it's winning, but do not be deceived. It is the Lord who wins. And he is in the process of winning right now. Through his church, Christ restores all things. And everyone who belongs to Christ has been grafted into that victory. And so that's why Paul can say, even the apostles and teachers, right? As he lists the names here, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, even the apostles and teachers have been given for you. And to belong to Christ means that we become like Christ in his obedience to the Father. And that's what Paul means when he says at the end here, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. It's this obedience to the will of the Father. That now this, this has been given to you. You can live in this way now. And so this is the irony, is that the world thinks that they are wise, and the world thinks that they are in control, but the reality is, it is the foolish who have been given everything. It is the fools for Christ who have been given everything. So some implications for this is that because Christ has won, if you are in Christ, you get to partake in that victory. And I, you know, I, I see so many Christians who fail to live like this, and I think it's because there's a sense where we, we, we know it, but we don't actually believe it. Because it is hard to see when we're just kind of looking from a fleshly perspective. It's hard to see that the victory belongs to Christ when it seems like the world is kind of collapsing around us. But we have to trust what the Word of God says. And I hope that as we've grown in Christ and we've, we've seen that the Lord has worked in our hearts and conformed us into the image of his Son and matured us 
and matured the body of believers, and we've seen people be saved, that we do see that in godly wisdom, yes, the victory is Christ. I see it. I see it working. I see it working in my life. I see it working in the church. In Christ, you no longer fear death. In Christ, you have victory over sin. In Christ, you are part of the eternal kingdom that defeats the kingdom of this world. So, one of the things Christians need to do is we need to stop walking as if we are defeated. We need to stop walking as Christians as if our life is just about being defeated so that we can just escape to heaven. Because that's not how the Bible talks about the Christian life. And that's not how the Bible talks about the victory of Christ. Instead, it's, it's the opposite. You walk in victory because Christ owns Everything. And he has been given all authority. And so when you walk in obedience to Christ, the world cannot touch you. You can slay the fiery dragon. You can face the abuser. You can face the accuser and the tyrant and the manipulator. You can face the liar. You can withstand the one who slanders your name. You can stand up and stand in the trial that makes you feel like running away. You can face the past hurt that haunts you. You can face the bitterness and the temptation to just disconnect. You can face the fear that makes it easier to stay silent than to rise up and be bold for the gospel. You can say no to the bottle. You can say no to the needle. You can say no to the pill. You can say no to pornography. You can say no to sex outside of marriage. You can say no to homosexuality. And you can walk each day in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And most of all, you can do it with optimism and hope because you know that Christ has the victory. Because it all comes from Christ and you belong to him. So, what do we need to do going forward? Well, one is we need to be getting in the word of God, and we need to be practicing the word of God in order to put off this worldly wisdom. And we need to start embracing the fact that the Christian life is meant to be foolish in the eyes of the world. And so in some sense, we need to stop trying to please the world. Instead, what we need to do is we need to put on Christ and his word like a warrior puts on his sword and his shield, and we need to boldly go into the battle that, call, that the Lord has called us to until he calls us home. And yes, when you answer the call to do that, you will look and feel foolish at times. You will feel put down. You will feel stupid. You will feel like you don't know what you're doing. You will feel like someone has gotten the best of you. 
You will feel weak at times. But you need to recognize that those are categories on the world's terms. That's not foolish and weakness to God. And we work according to his terms. So when you feel that way, you need to remember that Christ has everything. So I would say the way to do this is we need to walk in humble confidence. Christians have the ability to be the most humbly confident people in the world. We have the most humility because we recognize we have nothing to offer. We have no wisdom, no righteousness. And when we compare ourselves to a holy and righteous God, we tremble. Amen? We are humbled by who the Lord is. But at the same time, as we walk in humility, we also walk in complete confidence because our Lord walks with us. And the victory is His. And so some of you will face a terrifying challenge and decision this week. Some of you will face the temptation to compromise what you know is right. Some of you will face the temptation to go back to old habits and idols. But you need to remember that the Lord is your strength and he walks with you. And that these things will offer you nothing. And because all things belong to Christ and therefore now belong to you, you have the ability in Christ to say no to what is wicked and to say yes and be courageous and what is good. But if you decide to walk hand in hand with the world, or if you decide that you just want to live the kind of life where I can look like the world so that I don't have to make waves, or I just don't want to enter into the battle, or I'm scared of offending the fools who hate Christ, and I just want to, like I said at the beginning, I just want to make it into heaven, well, I would just say, remember, Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about spies for Christ. It talks about soldiers for Christ, not spies. There is no such thing as, well, I'm part of Christ's kingdom, but I'm just going to look and act as though I'm part of the world so that the world can be comfortable with me. So walk in humbleness, but walk boldly in Christ and know that the victory is yours because the victory is his and you are in him.